victory over Georgia Southern over the weekend. Glad you're with us. And before we get going here, I want to just send our thoughts out to everybody that's dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Florence. We know that there's still some flooding going on in the Carolinas, and in some places the worst is yet to come, as all the rivers have not crested yet. Um, so let you guys know that we're thinking about you out here on the West Coast and hope everybody is staying safe. Sam, so here we are. We're 3-0 and on the young season, and in the four years that we've been doing the podcast, I think we've only experienced four losses, and this being your first year doing football, you've experienced zero losses. So I think what has become a trend, and it's the same with a lot of Clemson fans everywhere, given that we haven't been losing a lot, is you know we, ha- we no longer have losses to gripe over. So now we come out of every game, and we kind of gauge the game based on how we feel about the outcome. Um, I-, I know after the Texas A&M game that a lot of people were disappointed, given how much we were up there early in the second half. And then ultimately, Texas A&M came back and made it a close game. And then likewise with the Georgia Southern game, Clemson gets off to a slow start, doesn't score in the first quarter, and then probably doesn't put them away like most people wanted. So it's kind of weird. We're, we're judging wins now by how well we feel about them just because we're not used to losses. Definitely. The scale changes. Um, I, I mean, it's my first season covering football with the podcast, but I've obviously been a fan for longer than that. I've experienced the the losses in the national championship and to, to Alabama last year and uh I'm hoping that I can sort of take the mindset of our current Clemson students and just think about it as uh, somebody who's rarely lost and uh, seen losses for the team. So I think what we have to do is is adjust that scale and, and look at it from a performance against our standards as opposed to performance against the other team. And until we get to the, the tougher matchups, that's really what we've got to do. Yeah, you hear a, a lot of times about good losses moral victories, uh, moral losses, rather, uh, for certain teams. Whereas for Clemson, we're talking about bad wins, it seems like. And I I feel like probably Alabama fans talk about that a lot and and maybe teams such as Ohio State. But, yeah, it's kind of unique to sit here and think about it. I don't think it really hit home the first few years, 2015 and 16, when we were playing so well. Maybe that started to creep into our minds last year. Um, and even parts of the 2016 season where we were playing close games where they really were kind of holding each other back a little bit uh, to preserve his health. Um, but we mentioned it after the Texas A&M game, you know, kind of questioning, are we in a position where because we have been winning so much recently, are we getting a little bit spoiled? Um, I think it's just a different perspective that we're all having to deal with for the first time. And I think losing again one day is going to bring us back down to earth. So 
the question is, can you self-correct um, in the interim and just kind of appreciate the fact that we are going into every, most every game and winning? And you know, even if it's close, you're still coming out with a victory, which is ultimately all that matters. Yeah, we're absolutely favored in all of our games this year. So the I think there's an ESPN poll that said we have something like a 20% chance to finish 13-0 and 0, um, and a 45% chance to win the ACC with no more than one loss. So going into those games, we're like an 85% to 95% chance at victory in each of our remaining games, except for the one at BC, which is technically according to ESPN, only a 71% chance that we win. That's our least likely game. 71%. Yeah. So, um, things are fine. Things are okay. Um, it's a good spot to be in. Yeah. I mean, we do have to kind of look at this in a different light and we'll get into this once we kind of recap the game, but this is, Dabo is, is doing something different. Like he has a different way of coaching. This coaching staff has a different way of coaching and developing players. And it's very different than what Nick Saban is doing at Alabama when they're going out and blowing out people from the get go at the beginning of the season. So it's a process. Winning is a process. Developing young talent is a process. And you're starting to see that play out. I can see some of the gripes coming out of the Texas A&M game, but out of the Georgia Southern game, I think uh, a lot of people, you know, well, Anybody who may have kind of a negative perspective of that game just because we did not blow them out as much as the box score, right? Just because of the box score um, needs to look a little bit deeper into what's actually happening on this team. And we'll get into that. Um, But first, let's kick this off. Let's uh, let's talk about the week three game, Sam. Um, You know, it's funny, like the last few years, there seem to be these marquee weekends early on in college football season where all the pundits, the announcers are saying this is the greatest weekend of college football ever. We really haven't seen that this year early on in the season. There just hasn't been, you know, there's been a few marquee matchups, but case in point, the fact that Clemson, Texas A&M was a, was a game day game and game day is going back to a Texas A&M game, Texas A&M, Alabama, Alabama this yeah. weekend, which makes sense. But, um, you know, yeah, that's the case in point that weekend. I mean, yeah, it was a good game, but Texas A&M wasn't ranked. It doesn't seem like a marquee game. Um, this past weekend, we finally got a little bit of taste of that. It still wasn't like the best weekend ever, as described in years past, but still probably the best weekend so far this year. No, we had a couple of good matchups this weekend. I think the marquee one of the weekend that most college football fans were looking forward to was Auburn LSU, although I'm pretty sure TCU Ohio State was the uh, game day game. So the L- the LSU game lived up to the hype. It was super close, came down to a, a last second field goal for LSU to win the game. Uh, we were watching at a bar after, after our victory earlier in the day and it was exciting. And then the Alabama game started and Ole Miss scored on their first play from scrimmage. And we were all like, yeah, <laughs> and nothing, could this nothing after that. And then they didn't score again and didn't get close. Uh, it was ugly, <laughs> but uh, the rest of the weekend in football was Except for that Wisconsin loss, uh, BYU pulling out the win against Wisconsin was was pretty exciting. The rest of the weekend was was pretty true to form. Um, the night game between Texas and USC was just really embarrassing for USC, I think. Um, but the rest of the, 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 the games were not all that exciting. There weren't any real nail biters or high-scoring crazy contests. It was just kind of a, a blah weekend of football, despite the few marquee matchups that we did get this weekend. Yeah, I think the LSU-Auburn game was one that I think you really looked to. Um, I mean, how about Coach O there? Is As is, is much doubt pe- uh, people have had um, regarding him and that coaching position at LSU, and nobody's really given him a chance. You know, he's slowly building upon every year. That team is getting better. 
they go into Jordan Hare and they beat a good Auburn football team. On the flip side of that, Auburn fans have to be scratching their head and start thinking, you know, you kind of hear every year, well, is Gus Malzahn going to be on the hot seat? When is that going to happen? It Pump the brakes, it doesn't happen um, after losing to LSU, albeit at home, but still interesting to see that. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. Uh, the only other fun one that I remember watching while we were watching our game, we, we share our local Clemson bar with Iowa State fans, and we hear their cheers as the game is going on. That game was really close until uh, sort of late in the third quarter when Oklahoma started to pull away. But it was uh, it was fun to watch them get excited about their team actually competing with a top five team. Iowa State looks better than they have in years past, despite that 0-2 record. Yeah, you know, we share the bar with them. Uh, the, the Clemson game takes priority when we're on at the same time just because we have more fans show up, so we get the sound on the TV. But about halfway through the third quarter, uh, close to the fourth quarter of the Clemson game, uh, the, the Iowa State mainstay guy, um, who's their main representative there, comes over and asks us, hey, can we get the sound on the TV? We look over and like, yeah, okay, it's a close game. Uh, and they, they proceeded they, to score they, and make it even closer, they, and then they yeah. kind of lost it. But it was, uh, it was a very exciting game. But it was much more entertaining watching the Clemson Georgia Southern game while listening to the sound from Oklahoma Iowa State. I yeah, ours ours had a lot less uh, excitement late in the game. We had a couple of big plays which we all cheered for but it was uh not a nail biter. Well, uh, regardless Oklahoma pulled that one out by 10. Um you mentioned the Ohio State TCU game. Um it tells us a lot about Ohio State. I wouldn't quite write TCU off yet and uh you know with Wisconsin going down uh, the Big Ten West all of a sudden is probably going to find themselves out of a path to the college football playoff. We talk a lot of times about the, the strength of your league and can a team with one loss come out of that. Uh, I still think Clemson has a very uh, real possibility if they sustain a loss uh, this year just because of um, recent history of getting into the college football playoff. I'm not so, so sure Wisconsin will have that opportunity should they win out from here on out and win the Big Ten. Again, it depends on what other conferences are doing. But then you look to the Big 12, TCU goes down. Okay, you got one loss there. It only takes now a loss by Oklahoma um, and possibly West, and then West Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, probably, and all of a sudden the Big 12's in limbo. And then obviously you know about the Pac-12. Washington already has a loss. Stanford is beating people, but not in all that spectacular fashion. USC just lost to Texas. UCLA is a dumpster fire. Um, so... You know, we ask ourselves a lot, oh, the ACC is down. Can Clemson get in with one loss? Well, these other leagues are going to have one loss, too. Um, and I look more at those conferences who, is, is, who have historically uh, in the college football playoff era. Um, it is a short era, but we can look to those conferences, Pac-12, Big Ten, uh, Big 12, is, you know, schools being left out. Absolutely. And I think the season's starting to take shape eventually, finally. Um We've got enough games under everyone's belts where we have some idea of what they're going to look like. Uh, obviously, there are going to be a lot more twists and turns throughout the season, but I think Clemson's season is setting up nicely within this, the scope of the full college football landscape. Uh, Alabama looks incredible. The SEC currently has a ton of teams in the top 10. I think there are four teams in the top 10 right now with the SEC. Um, so they'll start to knock each other off a little bit as the season progresses. But it should be, uh, obviously our schedule is weaker than past years, but even the the landscape is going to help and work in our favor, I think, to to give us a better path to the playoff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, you never know until it really happens. You saw after that loss to Pitt two years ago how 
you know, in the immediate aftermath, we think our season's over and then everybody else loses and it turns right back around. So, uh, and not to be saying that we project a loss or see a loss or to worry about a loss. I'm just saying there's a lot of chatter that's been going on early on here in the football season and seeing Clemson kind of stumble or maybe not put teams away like you'd like that in conjunction with the AC, the, the ACC being pretty down this year with teams like Florida State and Louisville uh, being absolutely terrible. Um, it, it's fair to question that, but I think when you take a step back and take everything into perspective, you realize that a lot of other teams are going to lose too, and it's a long season. So before we jump into the game analysis here, want to give a plug to the podcast. If you don't already, please uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. It's at Clemson Podcast. Uh, you can email us at clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to us on any of your uh, podcasting apps, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and then also iTunes reviews. Those are very helpful in getting our brand out. And I went on there and looked the other day, and I'm just absolutely blown away by how many five-star re- reviews we have. So really appreciate that, everyone. I think the the reviews and the compliments on there are probably much greater than, than we actually deserve. But that being said, certainly do appreciate that. So with that, let's get into the Georgia Southern game. Okay, Sam, as we mentioned, the Tigers a little bit slow to get going uh, early on in this ball game, scoring zero points in the first quarter, kind of a comedy of errors between KB's interception, choices fumble, Hugel's missed field goals throughout the day. Tigers are penalized seven times for 65 yards. That's yardage isn't too bad, but the amount of penalties is a little bit higher than we're used to seeing out of the Tigers. You know, I, I kind of chalked this up to a few things. The, the teams did seem a little unfocused there at the beginning of the game. You know, the game time did get moved back from 3.30 to 12. There was questions early in the week, all the way up into noon Friday Eastern time about whether or not the game was actually going to be played. And I heard this interesting stat on uh, one of the podcasts that I listened to uh, mentioning that I I believe they said Clemson has 63 players uh, that are from the Carolinas or Virginia. And so even though they're not there and in harm's way, they still have family there. They still have homes and they have, you know, lives there. So that's something that's that's going to be on your mind. So, again, a little bit of lack of focus. They got it going eventually, ended up winning by 31 points. But I, I think we can kind of attribute it to that. And I intend to give them a pass on this one. Yeah, I think there were sloppy plays and a couple of penalties that cost us fairly dearly. Uh, but overall, the offense looked really strong today or on Saturday. Um if you look at our average yards per play throughout the game, except for the one with the fumble and the two at the beginning of the fourth quarter where we went three and out with Trevor Lawrence and the one before that where he threw the pick where the guy knocked it up in the air and caught it, uh, there wasn't one drive all day where we had less than four yards per play. So if you're getting four yards of play, you're endlessly getting first downs or getting touchdowns. You're doing better than a triple option team yeah. who's trying to get three yards of play. Uh, so... I think we moved the ball really well, including the first quarter. Dabo said it at halftime when he got interviewed during the game. Uh, without those mistakes, without the pick from Kelly and the fumble from Adam, uh, those are drives with points. And we're getting down to the other team's uh, red zone pretty pretty well. Um, and we know, especially with, with, with Kelly Bryant um, under center, that one of his best attributes is – um, his efficiency in the red zone for getting into the uh, into the end zone. Yeah, I think actually the red zone for me was one of my worst takeaways of the game. 
putting that ball into the end zone from inside the five we really struggled with throughout the game. We had two or three drives where we couldn't punch it through. We eventually got in on both of them because we had a lot of chances because uh, we got down there so quickly. Um, but that's one area I think we could improve on. But throughout the rest of the game, we moved the ball really well. Yeah, I mean, Clemson piled up 595 yards uh, compared to Georgia Southern's 140. That That's saying a lot about your offense. That's also saying a lot about your defense, considering uh, Georgia Southern is a triple option team. You expect them, uh, you know, even though they're undermatched, that's a type of offense that 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 less lesser teams run to try to even the playing field. And again, they only mass 140 yards on the day. Um, I think they completed two passes. Uh, three, maybe yeah. three, including that that trick play that got him down in the scoring position. Yep. Uh, but overall, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty solid performance for the for the Clemson Tigers. And again, you got to put this in perspective. Look at what they're doing. They subbed early and often. Twenty eight different players had tackles on defense. Uh, Fourteen different receivers caught passes. Uh, and, and that's that's the mindset we we touched on a little bit earlier. That's the mindset of this coaching staff and this team. Listen, they're not trying to intending to come out and put their first team on the field for three, three and a half quarters every game at the beginning of the year and just blow people out. You know, you don't you kind of don't need those style points anymore in the college football playoff era, especially when you're a team who's been to the college football playoff three years in a row. What is beneficial is to get these young guys in so early. You saw it in the Texas A&M game. You saw it in this game. But this gets them meaningful experiences that is going to matter later in the season when you need it most. So, yeah, this isn't a team that looks like they're at their peak performance day one against Furman or even game three against Georgia Southern, like Alabama has in every team that they've played and waxed the floor with this year. But Clemson doesn't play Alabama at the beginning of the year. Uh, we play, we're going to play them at worst game 14 and possibly game 15. Should we make it that far? So we don't have to look like Alabama just yet. Uh, but what you do need to do is develop these players. Uh, these young guys, and that's what they're they're really doing. And you're starting to see a lot of good flashes and a lot of good things um, from all these guys taking the field. Now, there's some areas on the team where you're not seeing guys get in, and we'll discuss that primarily on the defense, um, which says a lot to kind of does make you nervous a little bit about the first team guys and mm-hmm. the lack of depth. But overall, this is a young team. This is how they keep recruiting these young guys to come in. They know they're going to get playing time early. And look, at the end of the day, we're three and zero. Yeah, I think we're really getting the ball spread around on offense nicely to the young guys and the the veterans and the guys who we expect to be the guys carrying us throughout the year. Uh, offense, offensively, we had five guys with at least five carries. Uh, Travis Etienne led the way with 16 carries, 162 yards, that 40-yard touchdown, and, and one more punch in um, for another touchdown. Adam Choice, despite that early fumble, came back, had a couple of really nice carries, had that 31, 32-yard carry late in the game. Uh, Lynn J. Dixon had a couple of good looks, uh, and our quarterbacks as well. Feaster also had a touchdown. So the running backs are spreading the load. Uh, receiving core has looked incredible. There was one drop, I think, uh, early in the game by uh, Trevion Thompson. Trevion Thompson, after he made that first catch, he I dropped think Hunter the second Renfro one. had one too. Yeah, but which is unusual. Something I really liked seeing uh, this weekend was the tight end play. We had a bunch of tight end plays for chunk yardage. Braden Galloway had a 20-yard catch. Cannon Smith had a 17-yarder. Um, J.C. Chalk had a first down catch. There was Mylon Richard had a 17-yard catch. There were a bunch of plays to the tight ends down the middle um, just slashing through to get big chunks, and it was not something we've seen the last couple of years. 
So it was nice to to get them back involved in the offense. Yeah, and you got to take that a little bit with a grain of salt. I'm sticking here with the offense. Uh, because you're apt to see these things in games like Georgia Southern, but notice how you did not see Braden Galloway in sure. uh, against Texas A&M when you're starting to play different competition. But these are the games that matter for them to get in and to get this, this is how they get ready for the good this games. Is, again, yeah. it goes for both sides of the ball. Um, the same thing could be said about the guy subbing in and out on the defensive line. You saw Niles Pickney in there uh, a lot. Xavier Thomas got some good playing time in meaningful minutes, and he looked great out there. So, again, it's both sides of the ball. Get them in early, and I think it – Part of it, part of it works against you in that you're not going to look as polished because you don't have the same first team core group of guys out there for three, four, five, six series in a row to really start to gel. So there is going to be kind of some dysfunction at times, and I think you specifically seen that um, across the offensive line. But you got to trust the coaching staff that this is going to pay dividends uh, later in the season. Uh, this is not a new philosophy for them. You, you started to see them the past couple of years really sub all these young guys in early and often. So this is not a new trend. Um, so no one should be surprised. So, yeah, Clemson really did dominate on both sides of the ball this game. Uh, the defense not quite as exciting. So let's start here with the offense. All right. So, Sam, as I mentioned, uh, Clemson racked up 595 yards of uh, total offense, which is you know, I don't care who you're playing. That's a pretty amazing stat. Um, a lot of takeaways from this game. Again, we mentioned the struggles early on. You had the interception, the missed field goals, the fumble. Uh, it took uh, that one drive, four plays to punch it in from the two-yard line. Uh, but those things were, outside of the last missed field goal, those things were early on. The Tigers seemed to have gotten over those hiccups. And I think what really gets lost in this is that the quarterbacks, both quarterbacks had a really good game, but Kelly Bryant specifically had a really good game. Yeah, Kelly looked great. He was 7 for 10 from the field for 68 yards, but he really was just orchestrating the offense very nicely, uh, making the throws when they needed to be there. The only one that was questionable was the one early on the first drive with Justin Ross where he probably shouldn't have thrown it. Um, Well, it wasn't. I don't think that one was necessarily on Kelly Bryant. It was a combo. Right. Well, and and I think one thing that people miss if you're just layman and you're watching the game, and I certainly did when I was first watching it, is that uh, Braden Galloway had a bust on that one. He went up and I think he took out the linebacker when he was supposed to go for the cornerback that was on Justin Ross and yep. Brandon Thomas was supposed to pull and take out the, the linebacker at the end. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, so that's a bust right there on Braden Galloway. So that leaves the cornerback uh, open to cover Justin Ross. And then you mentioned Ross should have fought hotter for that ball. You know, maybe if Kelly is able to put a little bit more zip on it, it gets there. But all in all, I think that's kind of a team effort uh, between yep, absolutely. those three guys. And it was specifically on Kelly Bryant. Yeah, but. Like I said, Kelly looked really smooth leading the team the whole time. Uh, the first two drives really should have been scores uh, with the missed field goal and the pick when we were at the 22 when he threw the pick. Um, so it was nice to see him looking strong uh, until he went down with his little chest bruise and where he landed on the ball and smacked his head in the field. Didn't look good. He said he's 100% ready to go, ready to play today, supposedly. Uh, well, he only played half a game. Yeah. <laughs> he only played so, a couple drives on Saturday, so he should be fresh. For those of you worried, Kelly's going to be fine. Uh, but I thought Trevor Lawrence looked good, too. He came in, um, didn't complete quite as high a percentage, but had a couple of really nice plays. Had another really long one to Justin Ross, uh, who looks like a freak and is going to be so much fun as we get to watch him the next three years. Um, and he spread the ball around really well. I mentioned the the tight end throws up the middle. Um when we give 
Trevor a little bit of time. He really is able to find those open receivers and make the throws wherever they are on the field. It's nice to watch. Yeah, so let's let's stick with Kelly Bryant here first. Um, you, you mentioned his great throws, and right before that interception, you had the, the big third down pickup uh, to Braden Galloway, which was an absolutely fantastic yep. throw. It was a great route Beautiful. run by Braden Galloway. Uh, I love them attacking down the field on third and longs. Yep. You, we, we kind of haven't seen that from Kelly Bryant. That hasn't been the game plan coming in, but you can really start to see them start to open things up for him and allowing him to throw the ball more downfield. And that's something that they're really trying to work on. You're still not seeing a lot of the passes across the middle. Uh, and whether that's play calling or the fact that uh, teams are playing one high safety against us, that makes it more difficult to throw it across the middle. That 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 scheme tends to open up the outside. Um, but you are seeing them giving him the opportunities. And if you look at the stat sheets and you watch the games, he is making some absolutely fantastic throws. I think it was that one to... Uh, the one to Overton for a touchdown of the Texas A&M mm, yep, game yeah. was absolutely Threw nine brilliant. sets of hands and yeah. into a tiny little pocket. Yep. Now, the, the, where he's really struggling, he's still lacking velocity on his short throws. And it's not that he can't throw it hard. I mean, you do see it when he's able to throw across the middle. But I don't know if it's something in his windup or if he's just trying to aim the ball more for uh, for the sake of accuracy. But that's the one one of the few things that, he, that I'm not sure that's going to get better that could be a detriment at some point this year. Yeah, I think, like you said, it's not that he doesn't have the arm strength. He can make those throws. I think it's just getting him confident, making them hard enough. When you watch Trevor, he's whipping the ball sometimes too hard on those short throws, and guys are struggling to handle it. Kelly needs to find the balance where he can throw. We know he can throw it harder than he is on some of those tosses. Um, so he just needs to figure out where he's comfortable and, and where the receivers are comfortable catching those balls. And I think with more reps with everybody a lot of new receivers this year, a lot of guys who didn't play very much last year. Um, it should help with as we go throughout the year. Yeah, I tend to think with his windup that maybe it's kind of harder to throw um, or more difficult to throw hard or with much velocity and be accurate at the same time, whereas Trevor Lawrence has such a tight, quick release um, that to me it just seems like it's probably easier to be more accurate and still get kind of that, that, that oomph behind the ball. Um, that being said, you know, we're kind of nitpicking on Kelly at this point. If you may get to a point later in the season where you're starting to play better defending teams, that play calling may need to compensate a little bit, especially if teams start to hone in on that being the one thing that you're going to. I mean, it's one thing, okay, if teams are going to take away the middle of the field and give you the outside, um, give you the boundaries, but Kelly Bryant's not able to get the ball there quick enough, you need to compensate for that. I don't care if they're covering the middle of the field. You need to play calling needs to compensate and be able to do something different. So, that's the one part of his game that's still struggling a little bit. Otherwise, uh, you can see him make progress in his progressions. He's getting better at that. Um, we know how good he is at managing the game and the, uh, the run-pass option. So hard to tell when you're playing Furman or Georgia Southern. A little bit easier to tell, and I think you saw the flashes of that in the Texas A&M game. But again, don't be fooled. Kelly Bryant has improved. Yeah, and this is his team still. He's got this job in under lock and key for the time being. Um, hopefully both quarterbacks continue to be successful as we've seen so far. And if they are, we may just see this dual quarterback system the rest of the year. Uh, Dabo certainly isn't shying away from saying that's a possibility. So if it works, it works. Well, they're both being successful at times when they go in there. You've seen Trevor Lawrence come in after Kelly Bryant has struggled and going down and score. And then you see Kelly Bryant come back in after Trevor Lawrence, um, has struggled and go down and score. Um, and also, the value in having a guy like Trevor Lawrence this year is 
You saw what happened last year in Syrac- with Syracuse when Kelly Bryant went down. Yep. Uh, Zarek Cooper really didn't really have a chance to, or I don't know if it wasn't given the chance to have the talent to, 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 to go down and win that game or the fact that Syracuse was just playing that good. They were just had one lucky night, but Kelly Bryant goes down. You feel good falling back on Trevor Lawrence a lot Absolutely. better than you did about Zarek Cooper Absolutely. or um, Hunter Johnson. Absolutely. So sticking with Trevor Lawrence now, um, like you mentioned, looked really comfortable in the pocket. He had a lot of time in this game. The offensive line did pass block better. Um, you know, you talked about the velocity on his throws. He threw one that even Hunter Renfro couldn't handle. So he does a little bit need to tone it down. He did have some bad throws in this game, but for the most part, you, you continue to see the kid get better and better game by game. And whereas as a fan, you may be a little worried or concerned that he didn't come right out and be as spectacular, like look like Deshaun Watson in his third year during his first college game. I think you can easily see as he continues to prove game by game that by the end of the year, this kid's going to be a monster. Yeah, the potential is clearly there. He has certain throws where you just see the tight spiral and the zip on the ball coming off of his arm. It just it looks different coming out of his hand. And you don't see that as much from Kelly, uh, but obviously they both have different aspects of the game they bring. Kelly's run game is something that Trevor doesn't really have, and Trevor's pop on the ball is just, it's at another level. It's not something you see a lot in college football. Uh, He still struggles a little bit when he gets pressured. He's getting better game by game. We'll see him continue to improve there. Um, Keep working on those check down reads and his outlet, his valves, knowing where to go when he's under pressure. But um, he's he's looked really strong in his first three collegiate games as a 18 year old, you know. Yeah, and we'll see. You know, we're going to start to face. Well, I say we're going to start to face stiffer competition as we enter ACC play, but that's not necessarily the truth this year. Um, I imagine Georgia Southern could beat some a few ACC teams. Um, yeah, well, that's that speaks more <laughs> to the ACC than it does to Georgia Southern. <laughs> Uh, but you're right. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence. I mean, listen, we all know we can do with his arm. So it's about the little things and don't sell him short on not being able to run. He can, he can move. He's just not going to run for 20 yards or 50 yards a game on 10 carries. And they're not necessarily going to call those plays for him or give him that option. They're going to want him to throw more, but the kid can run. Absolutely. Um, He had a 10 yard carry this game. Uh, he can also tackle. Yeah, it's a very nice tackle. Great on the, form on the tackle on, the, on, that, on that interception. You know, if you're going to throw the ball to the other team, you might as well hit him. Yeah. Um, Got his money's worth out of it. So, in regards to the offensive line, you'll read it a lot of places. A lot of people were saying that you could make the argument that the second team offensive line actually had a better game than the first team offensive line. Um, I think Justin Falsinelli and Kate Stewart and Sean Pollard are still struggling. Uh, I thought John Simpson had an okay game, and you know we're going to get on Mitch Hyatt, and yep. Ankrum has played well this year. But uh, it goes back to that continuity part of it. Although, with Falsinelli being a second-year starter, I expect a little bit more out of him. The, the His snaps don't have velocity on him. The blocking hasn't been that great. I'm a little bit worried that Pollard's struggled transitioning from right tackle to right guard. Yeah. Um, in the starters role, and then Kate Stewart has come in. He got banged up. A little, I think he got banged up a little bit in uh-huh. this game. And, yeah, he went down. He you know, again later. There's still a lot more to be desired from a few of those guys on the line. Yeah, definitely still more gelling that needs to happen for them. Um, I did like the push that we were getting 
certainly off off tackle runs this game. We had a lot of runs where ETN or uh, Dixon or Feaster or Choice got the got the ball off tackle, usually to the right, couple to the left, but mostly off right tackle, and we're breaking holes. That speaks to the tight end blocking and the receiver blocking well, as well. And specifically Garrett Williams. Yep. I mean, it's a game changer when he's in there like, night and day above Mylon Richard, Cannon Smith, J.C. Chalk, or Braden Galloway. Um, so keeping him healthy is going to be super important throughout the year. And it's something that you don't see when you're watching the game. When you, when you have a tight end who's not really catching the ball, um, but as valuable as he is being in there to block, you don't tend to notice those things. Um, it, it, well, maybe don't tend to notice it's him. It's the difference between sure. a good running yeah. game and a bad running game. But, um, yeah, you know, we're not going to run a lot up the a, B, a and B gap. That's just not the, the identity of this team. Probably a lot of us wishes it was. Um, but getting to the ball, the outside is huge. Uh, ETN is in a class of all his own at running back right now. I mean, he had what, 162 yards mm-hmm. or something like that in the game, yep. 10, 10 yards of carry. Yeah. More than uh, 10 yards of carry. More than 10 yards of carry. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, we're seeing a lot more swing passes to the running backs out yeah, of the backfield, which I like, which that is exciting to see. Um, we missed that from CJ Spiller. Absolutely. And, uh, and, um, Andre Ellington. Yeah, we've got a couple of guys now that can do it that are that are threats in the open field, and all we have to do is find a way to get it to them. And uh, since the out the the little screen passes are sort of struggling this year, people seem to have figured that out. I like the wrinkle of uh, the pitches to the to the running backs on the outside and letting them run from there. It seems to be working. Yeah. So all in all, I think a good performance by the offense. Dabo mentioned it. They need to finish drives, and that was kind of the Achilles' heel in this game. Yep. Uh, it's, I'm still a little bit concerned that the veterans on the offensive line, uh, Falsonelli and Pollard in particular, are struggling. I would, especially Pollard. I would like to see some more development out of him at the guard spot. And uh, he must have been cross training for the past three years. I know that uh, Robbie Caldwell and the coaching staff really like to have all of their guards cross train, um, but. Jackson Carmen, uh, he's a guy that could probably be pretty helpful at the guard position inside this year, but you needed a backup at left tackle, and he's really coming along. Um, so that wraps it up for the offense. Again, I, I think you're going to start to see more as we get into like games five and six and seven of everything really start to come together. I'm a lot more optimistic about the two quarterback system uh, just because I've seen the different things that both can do, and you're starting to see them allow Kelly Bryant to, to do some of the things that he hasn't necessarily done well or they've held him back from in the past. Uh, so I think once you kind of, you know, let Kelly spread his wings in that sense and what we expect to see out of the progressions from Trevor Lawrence, I'm not seeing that quarterback is going to be an issue for this team as long as you can keep those guys upright. And, Again, I'll focus on the offensive line when it comes to there. I think that's probably the only Achilles heel of this team right now, but that's going to hurt you when it comes to Alabama. Yeah, I think uh, the more we can open up the playbook for both of the quarterbacks, whether it's more RPO for Trevor or more deep passes from Kelly, it's going to just make the offense all the stronger uh, and let the weapons on the outside and in the backfield really do what they're best at and go out there and slash people for 20, 30, 40, 50 yards at a time. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, so that'll be the, I mean, and that appears to be the theme here in the early going of the last few years is the offense is going to spread a little bit going on as they start to find their identity and they start to try different things. Uh, and then the defense is just going to go out there and be dominant and let Brent Venables find the one or two things that they're not good at um, and really focus on them. So with that, let's turn it over to the defense. <laughs> 
Okay, as we mentioned, Georgia Southern is an option team. They ran the ball 43 times for 80 yards. It's an average of 1.9 yards a carry, not too shabby. Yeah, we'll take it. Uh, their best running back or ball carrier for the game defensive line. was C.J. Wright, a six foot, 290-pound number 94. Uh, he was a lot of fun to watch, actually. Uh, well, it was fun to watch uh, him and Dexter Lawrence square off. Yeah, they. It was it was fun watching him run through four guys at a time, only because we weren't actually in trouble in the game. Had somebody like Alabama or you know Boston College later in the year, whoever it is, right, that gives us trouble. Had had they done that, it would have been a little worrying. Uh, but now we've seen a look. So if somebody like that tries it, we. Hopefully we'll have a better handle on it. Well, and I'm sure Wright has not been too used to in his career being put in that position and running into somebody bigger than him. No, I don't think so. It's it's hard to be much bigger than he is. Well, and and which makes me think, what about putting Dexter Lawrence in there as running back? Dex, Clee, Christian, any of them. We've put Christian in on offense before. Why not do it in the backfield? I just want to see Dexter Lawrence get one run this year now that his toe's healthy. Um but listen, what could be said about this defensive line that already hasn't been? There's not a lot to, to take away from this game uh, other than the fact that they just stuffed them. You know, this is the second time we played an option team this year. We have a third one coming up in Georgia Tech this weekend, so it makes you uh, feel really good about that matchup, although Georgia Tech doesn't necessarily run the same type of triple option. But um, good to see the offense, or the, sorry, the defensive line play so disciplined, even when you got the backups in there. Xavier Thomas, we mentioned him. He made some plays. Niles Pickney. Had that uh, forced and recovered, forced and recovered fumble. Mm-hmm. Um, if only if he was a step faster, maybe he could have made it to the end zone. Yeah, I think he needed to be a couple steps faster to make it to the end zone. He won't be playing running back this year, probably, unless we need a power back. We'll see. Um, and then not really a lot of tests for the secondary. Like we mentioned, they they threw three balls. Wallace and Muse got caught um, with their eyes in the backfield on that trick play allowing the receiver to get free. Um, and I will say this about Muse. It does always seem like he's running with his back to the play, um, which is not a great thing. He has good speed, so he's able to make it up, but that's going to result in a lot of passing interference calls, which he's gotten at least one or two this year, I yep. believe. Um, Georgia Tech game's not going to be as much of a concern just because they're not going to pass much. And, you know, Muse, he excels uh, in, in stopping. Fantastic run defense. Yeah, yeah, run defense, so not too worried about that. But... The one thing that does concern me about playing all these option teams is the secondary is not getting tested a lot. We talked about the uh, the safeties, but also the cornerbacks. And the starting cornerbacks have been on the field quite a lot, which doesn't make me feel too comfortable with the depth there. You All the talk coming into the season about Kyler McMichael and Mario Goodrich, they're we not playing seen, a lot. We haven't seen I much think Goodrich him. got one snap maybe in this game. McMichael played exclusively on special teams, so... You know, I'm interested to see, and I, and I have been since uh, the beginning of the year, whether or not they try a good rich out of safety to give us some depth there. Um, because behind Muse and Wallace, you've got Nolan Turner and um, and Denzel Johnson. But it, it's hard to say. Nobody's really thrown it on us this year outside of Texas A&M, so it's hard to judge. Yeah, and I think the performance from Wallace and Mark Fields and, and the secondary and um, Terrell. Terrell has been solid. They've looked good against a limited amount of opportunities to shine. Um, I thought the linebacking core looked better this week. Trey Lamar had a million tackles. I think he ended up with 11. Um, Isaiah Simmons, Isaiah Simmons a was bit great more bringing up yeah. in, in uh, run coverage. He was awesome this week. He had that one play where he literally just ran through a man and shoved him flying away from him, which was pretty awesome. 
Um, Kendall Joseph was all over the field. He didn't get a lot of statistical box score stuff. But I he, think he did lose containment on Wurtz on his TD. But other than that, he had a good game. Yeah, but I mean, there's not a whole lot to complain about when the other team goes for 140 yards, one touchdown, and the they had one play for 40 yards, which was a trick play. So weirdly, we gave up 100 yards in how many plays? Like 50 plays. So it was uh, two yards of play is pretty okay in my book. Yeah, so again, not a lot to gripe about here. I do wonder, heading into the Georgia Tech game, though, you know, Dorian O'Daniel was an absolute beast against Georgia Tech for the past three years, starting in his sophomore year. Uh, I can't help but think we're going to miss that next week. Isaiah Simmons is no Dorian O'Daniel, not at this point. No, he's not. He's he's strong and rundy, uh, which will be good, but the, the middle linebacking core and the linebacking core in general just isn't quite at the level we've seen the last couple of years, they don't have that stalwart um, guy at the middle to, to anchor the team as much as we've had in previous years. And uh, we'll probably get a couple of blown coverages at some point or blown plays uh, next week. But I feel pretty good about our, our run D and our option D in general after the first three games where we had two, uh, two option teams and a running quarterback. Well, it's just the, the defensive line is just so phenomenally good. And that includes the backups that, they're going to cover a lot of our weaknesses this year. But that being said, still really interested in seeing when these cornerbacks, when these safeties are pressed against good throwing teams yep. and teams that have an offensive line that can at least hold up our defensive line from getting pressure for even a split second to give yep. their quarterback more time to play. It's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah, the Syracuse game should be a good first test. Eric Dungy obviously killed us last year. Um, so I think that'll be a good challenge for for our secondary and their lines, not amazing, but it's better than what we've seen so far. So, and you're right. Dungy torched us last year. He's definitely capable of making the throws. He can also run. Uh, he's sort of in the same mold as a, a Kellen Mond or a, a running quarterback with a good arm that we've seen in the past. So hopefully the secondary shows up a little bit better and the communication is a little bit stronger than it was in that Texas A&M game. Um, but the, the D line, like you said, they're going to cover up, as a band-aid for so many mistakes that we make when somebody gets slashed for 15 yards or we make an error and have a blown coverage or whatever, they can get sacks. They can get tackles for loss. They can force fumbles and tip passes. And they're just, they're incredible. And they're always in the backfield. They're um, always, always. And there's a lot there. to be said about that. Um, yeah. So again, you know, I almost I'm getting tired of playing option teams. I feel like that maybe Clemson is overcompensated in scheduling. Uh, just because we used to struggle so much against Georgia Tech, but then you bring Brent Venables on and he figures it out, and, and you still got the Furmans and the Waffords and the Georgia Southerns on the schedule, um, doesn't go a long way to preparing you for the rest of the year because absolutely there's not, you know, when you get into playing conference teams, there's no other Georgia Tech out there. There's no other team on the national uh, level that's going to contend for a college football playoff that's running the option like any of these teams are, you know, Navy, Navy. That, yeah. That's, mm -hmm. that's all you got. So, um, yeah, getting kind of, uh, you know, I'm glad we're good at it. I, I love beating Georgia tech and I love beating them bad. I'm glad they're not close games anymore, but I, I think this team is elite enough now. And well, I'm tired of seeing that. Let's, uh, let's, let's just play some teams who can throw and stress our secondary so we can see some improvement there. Yeah. I'd love to, to play more of a high, high flying long throw air raid type approach, uh, in some of these FCS, or crappy teams early in the season. Uh, Cause like you said, the, the option isn't prepping us for 
anybody late in the year. It's not yeah. prepping us for Miami. It's not prepping us for Alabama. It's not prepping us for, you know, Ohio State. These are these are the teams that we're going to have to beat late in the year to win championships and to win, get into the playoff and, and win in the playoff. So we need better tests early on in the year, I think, at least stylistically. Well, yeah, Kent State last year, I think they threw the ball three they times did. and not until the second half. So, yeah. you know, you know, a lot of that can't help. You got to you got to bring teams that are going to agree to do uh, just come in and, and not do a home and home. Um, and you also don't want to put yourself at too much risk. And you're always going to schedule a, a good, well, hopefully good SEC team on top of South Carolina. Uh, and then there's the, the law in South Carolina where Clemson and South Carolina have to play one of the, I guess, FCS home schools or FCS schools from the state mm-hmm. of South Carolina, mm-hmm. which not in love with that. I would rather us not play FCS schools anymore. South Carolina can. That's more on their playing field. Um <laughs> But it is what it is. Uh, so far, the defense has held up pretty well this year. The Texas A&M game aside, I think that was great scheming by 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 Jimbo there. Um, but not a lot to complain about, and this defense so far looks to be every bit as dominant as we hope they'd be. Absolutely. Even with that huge yardage number against Texas A&M, I think we're number 10 in the S&P rankings overall defensively, uh, or maybe that's overall combined offensive defense. They don't do the S&P defense until after week three or four. Um, so we'll see where we are in a couple of weeks when that stuff starts coming out, but the D has looked really strong and I'm not worried about the A&M game as a, uh, a sign of things to come. And what it really does when your defense is that good, again, it allows the offense to kind of be more patient and work some things out, get some other younger guys in there. Um, so that, that is super beneficial. And again, it, it's as much as the young guys in the offense, we hope they develop with this playing time over the course of the year. The young guys on the defense, again, specifically Xavier Thomas, uh, Niles Pink- Pinkney, you're not worried if they end up having to go in the game if one of the other guys goes down because they're looking really good. You saw KJ Henry get get some time in there. Justin Foster has Justin looked Foster's better. Justin Foster's good plays, absolutely. Yeah, then you thought, I would like to see Balen Specter in there a little bit more um, at, at the Sam position, but we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but overall, you know, nothing but good things to, to be said for the defense right now. We'll see if we change our tune once we actually play a team that can pass. Okay, so that wraps it up for the Georgia Southern recap. You either probably thought it was a boring game because Clemson did not score as much as he wanted, or you thought it was a boring game just because we blew him out by 31 points and the game was never in jeopardy. But that being said, a win is a win. We'll take it. Um, I think the biggest takeaway from this game is, again, the offense and, and watching the quarterbacks play and what they're kind of what the philosophy is going to develop between using both of them. It was great to see Trevor Lawrence be able to step up after Kelly Bryant went down, but then also know Kelly Bryant's going to be fine heading into Georgia Tech this week. Okay, so before we close it out here, Sam, uh, let's talk about the week four games in college football. Well, speaking of crappy football this year, there's two ranked matchups, one being Stanford at Oregon, which... Actually, is going to be somewhat interesting just to see if Stanford they have to go up to Eugene if you know they're three and zero. We mentioned that they haven't beat anybody in spectacular fashion this year, yep. but they have been winning. So, be interesting to see what they they're made of. If Stanford loses, the Pac-12 misses out. Pac-12 again, almost probably. assuredly misses out unless Washington runs the table and some other things happen. Um, but the big marquee game this weekend, and really the only marquee game, we mentioned it, A&M and Alabama. We're going to see what a and made of. Yeah, we are. Uh, I'm really excited to see how this goes. 
Alabama made a little bit of a statement this week uh, in their 62-7 win over Ole Miss after Ole Miss scored like a 1,000 points the week before. And everybody said coming into that game, listen, they they didn't say Alabama was going to lose, but they said expect Ole Miss to put up points. They They put put up up seven. They put up one play, the first play from the game, and nothing after that. So uh, we obviously saw the very best of Kellen Mond. we shut Travion Williams down. I don't expect Williams to have a game like he did this week. Um, I don't. I don't think AM is going to be able to pull it out against Alabama. My my hope is that they can keep it close and give them a little bit of a scare. I unfortunately fully expect Alabama to win this game by three to three touchdowns, maybe four. The uh, line's twenty six and a half, so you're even underselling Alabama, according to Vegas. Yeah, it's primarily because of the fact, A, of how good Alabama has looked from from the get-go this year, from going in and blowing out Louisville to whatever crappy team they played in Week 2 to what they did to Ole Miss last week. And, you know, they've also got tape on A&M now. Yep. Probably couldn't draw a lot from their first and third games, but definitely could draw a lot from that Clemson game. And you know Nick Saban and his cronies have been um, on top of that tape, picking things apart. So I think with that under their belt and, and, you know, maybe Texas A&M can keep it close. I think they have a better coaching staff. You know, Jimbo Fisher went in and played Alabama last year at the beginning of the season with Florida State and was hung in there through the first half until DeAndre Francois got hurt. So listen, you know, say what you want about Jimbo Fisher. He knows how to coach and he has that team playing well so far this year. So maybe it's not as bad as we I might think it is and Vegas might think it is going to be, but I don't know, man. Alabama looks really good. Yeah, it's it's going to not I don't feel confident in AM's ability to win that game. And it's in Tuscaloosa. Yep. So that doesn't help. Even worse. Um so besides those two matchup matchups between ranked teams, what are you going to try and watch this week? I will probably watch my first South Carolina game this year. They're playing at Vandy. Vandy, um, it's you keep wanting Vandy to be good, uh, just because there's got to be one team in the SEC that you're going to pull for. Uh, so might as well be Vandy. Uh, they played Notre Dame close, losing by five this past weekend. I think a lot of that speaks to Notre Dame and how good they are, or rather aren't. They had a close one against Ball State, and Brandon Winbush I don't think is as good as everybody thinks he is. I don't think he's going to strike fear into the hearts of a, of opposing defenses, and you know as far as passing down the field is concerned. But uh, yeah, you know this is a game that can certainly trip South Carolina up. South Carolina fans came into the year uh, thinking highly of themselves. You know, South Carolina didn't play last week because of the hurricane. They were scheduled to play Marshall, so whereas if you're in the middle of the season or later of the season, a week off is going to help. I think the fact that Vandy has one more game on them um, is going to bode well, not to mention that, that game is at home for Vandy. So I'm picking Vandy, and I don't I don't think you call it an upset, but I'm picking them for the victory. I don't know what Vegas has it at. Interesting. Um, I have a little bit more faith in our uh, foes in Columbia. I don't think they're going to lose to Vandy. I don't believe in Vandy yet. Uh, we will see. I'm not asking you to believe in Vandy. I'm asking you not to believe in South Carolina. Well, South Carolina is a, a favorite on the road, two-point favorite on the road. So Vegas has it as South Carolina is about a touchdown better. You usually add three or so points uh, for a home swing, for a home change. Um, I think almost the rest of the games that I want to see this week are out of more of a morbid curiosity than anything else. 
I want to watch the, the Florida State Northern Illinois game to see how far how oh, far God. Florida State can fall. <laughs> um, uh, similar, Willie Taggart might lose his job after that one. Yeah. Similarly, uh, I'm curious to watch the demise of Arizona football uh, and Khalil Tate's season. He had a great game this last week, but uh, that team has just looked like trash the first couple of weeks uh, and they were expected to be a contender in the Pac-12 this year. Uh, I'll probably try and watch that Stanford-Oregon game because, again, almost out of morbid curiosity, I assume Stanford's going to blow it. Oregon doesn't look amazing this year, but Stanford has looked iffy. Uh, we'll see if they can pull out that win. Is Bryce Love back? I'm not sure if he's going to be healthy for this game. Uh, we do have an okay, a couple of okay SEC matchups. Florida and Tennessee play two teams trying to figure out if they're back or not. Uh, and obviously the... Florida lost to Kentucky. They're not back They've at won. home. We'll see. So Tennessee is at home. We'll see what happens there. Um, Wisconsin, Iowa could be a good matchup uh, in Ames. So tough, tough road game for Wisconsin coming off a loss. Um, maybe they were looking ahead. I always, I was always a tough uh, uh, place to play in Ames. Super tough at home. Uh, so that should be an interesting game. And uh, Pac-12 late night game is uh, Washington and Arizona State. Arizona State's looked pretty good so far. They're 2-1. Herm um, Edwards, baby. Herm. Back in the coaching seat in college yeah. ranks. That's uh, that's pretty cool to see him actually having some success there. I know a lot of people question whether or not he could do it at college. I'm most intrigued by the trio of, you mentioned Florida State and Arizona and Kevin Sumlin there, but then also UCLA yeah. and Chip Kelly. Yep. The uh, The... High marquee name coaches that are struggling so far or finding success in Herm Edwards. UCLA this week is actually off on an early season buy, which is kind of weird. Um, but the Pac-12. So they'll remain they, defeated. They, yeah, they, they won't get any worse. But yeah, they won't lose another game. Yeah. Um, Arizona State, Washington, and Stanford, Oregon are really the only games worthwhile in in the Pac-12. And, and that's really just to see if the Pac-12 can completely give up in week four their chances to make the playoff. You know what? Good riddance the earlier in the season, the better, because nobody likes to follow Pac-12 football. We live in San Francisco. We don't like to follow Pac-12 football. I follow Pac-12 football. Cal got some votes this week. Go Bears. Yeah, like I said, nobody likes to follow Pac-12 football. That, you know, the rest of the country can, can do what they want. Even I'll... Pac-12 fans don't like to follow Pac-12 football. That's mostly true. So I think that about wraps it up for us. Um, once again, the, the Tigers take care of Georgia Southern. The season does not look to get any more entertaining here in the, in the near future. Perhaps the Syracuse game just is for any reason uh, to get revenge on them from last year. But it's a weak schedule, so I think we just have to focus on the things that Clemson does and the things that they do poorly and um, how they improve on those and the things they do well. They continue to improve on those things um, as the season goes on, too. So... Um, yeah, we'll wrap it up on that. We'll be back with you for a recap of the Georgia Tech game this weekend in Atlanta. We're sure a lot of uh, Clemson fans, a lot of our listeners will probably be there. Uh, once again, thank you all for listening. Please hit us up, Clemson Podcast, on Twitter and Facebook, ClemsonPodcast at gmail.com. You can uh, please subscribe to us on SoundCloud or any of your podcasting apps so you get notifications right away when we put out our episodes and then Again, uh, iTunes reviews are always helpful. We really appreciate that. Um, so thanks for sticking with us. Until next time, go Tigers.
And then, yeah, the Wisconsin game. You know, with Con- with with Con- with 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 Wisconsin.